to you and welcome to what's right with sam and ash news talk 840 kxnt glad to be here with you today happy monday i did survive easter thanks for asking we had some friends from out of town and uh some organized chaos at my house uh so i'm happy to have endured that of course uh as my company flew home yesterday I uh, I noticed today there is news out of Florida. In case you missed it, there's a Florida federal judge that has ruled to overturn a CDC mask mandate for planes and other public transit. So basically the federal mandate put in place over a year ago by the Biden administration is now hanging by a legal hair. I I skimmed through it, just, just came out uh, a little, just maybe a couple hours ago. So it's a, a large... 50-page ruling uh, by this judge in, in, in Florida, incidentally, a Trump-appointed judge. Uh, her name is Catherine Kimball Mizell. She's based in Tampa. And look, in, in the immediate short time, everybody said, well, does that mean that today, if we fly, we don't have to wear a mask? And the answer is no. I, I think the airlines are doing a wait-and-see approach. Funny enough, I quickly wanted to see if any of the major airlines here in Vegas had anything to say about it. And as of a few minutes ago, uh, basically crickets. So I I looked at Allegiant. I looked at Southwest. uh, I looked at Delta, uh, Alaska, and none of them have any overt updated statements on what to do. I'm going to remind you, though, very interesting, that the CEO – of Delta, and, and I, God, it's interesting because I think one day before this ruling, he basically said that this needs to end, that 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 Delta Airlines is ready to get out of the mask mandate. It needs to end, and he made that public statement literally, you, you know, it looks like 24, 48 hours ago. So, uh, so it's, it's look, it'll depend on the airline. United, which doesn't do a tremendous amount of business here in Vegas, they have said in the you know we're keeping the mask mandate in because for the for the time being we want to see how this shakes out in court and i think you know i i I think a lot of people are asking what does this mean how does this procedurally carry on and it could this is a district federal district court judge so any judge can rule if it's on if they're they're the ones hearing the lawsuit they can rule on the particular uh particular claim that's being brought that is, think of that like the trial court. In federal court, district court is the trial court. That is where you, you, you get a particular case is tried, and it can be appealed. And that is up to the court of appeals, the circuit courts, and ultimately up into the U.S. Supreme Court. So it could be now that the uh, court of appeals uh, will, will look at this and will, will overturn or put a stay on what this judge did but if if they don't then this thing is dead in the water and by the way i what i looked at here just so you also understand is that it, it, this judge really got specifically into the authority given to uh, the federal government specifically to the cdc to even implement something like masks to begin with and it got heavily into some rule called uh well section 264 
basically says that they lack authority for this. Uh, so it got it got into the nitty gritty of of truly the the legal standing for all of this. And I think you know I think again that this this uh, is on its last leg. And one of the things you have always have to remember is is now this is essentially litigation, right? So the Biden administration wants this thing to still be in place. They realize it's starting to be increasingly unpopular. Uh, you remember, I, we've talked about this, the Southwest flight attendants, their union has come out and said, you know, we really, really do not want this to be in place anymore. We are done. Please put the masks away. And I think a number of, of other airline uh, unions, but both for pilots and for flight attendants, have, have said or made similar uh, similar statements. So this is uh, now facing a tremendous amount of, of political opposition. But what you have to understand is in the background of all this are still people that are so desperate to hold on to their power, both at the federal and at the state level. These CDC people, and, and just humor me here for a minute. I got to understand how these people operate. For years, these nerds existed. Uh, they lived in the shadows. They worked for agencies that nobody really cared about or listened to or part of the national zeitgeist. And all of a sudden, along comes COVID-19. And they are thrust, more so than with the bird flu or anything else that ever came before it, they're suddenly thrust into uh, the, the, I would say the center of, you know, national uh, consciousness. Everybody knows about it. And this occurred, by the way, with Fauci. We saw him slowly evolve into somebody who loved the limelight. And I've explained here time and time again, it's not just that he loved the limelight. It's that all of these people, when it comes to Washington, are in a fight for funding. And understanding politics, if you ever worked on Capitol Hill or you you understand a little bit about how this process works, realize that all these agencies, whether it's the whether it's the IRS, CDC, uh, any of these organizations, they all fight for funding, and they go literally to Capitol Hill, hat in hand, every year, and they're begging for dollars. They're begging for cuts of the budget, and the people that allocate this money. Uh, is, of course, Congress, because in the Constitution, they're given the power of the purse. So you go to Congress and they beg for money and nobody cares about Fauci and his team. Well, they 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 I mean, in the grand scheme of things, the national defense and other pork projects that all these senators and congressmen want to get for their districts. They don't care about Fauci. They didn't care about the National Institute of Health. They even probably freshman Congress probably even didn't know what it was. But now when Fauci's on television, and, and by the way, it's, an, it's a perverse incentive, is it not, to continue the crisis for as long as possible? Because, of course, you know that the NIH funding went up astronomically during COVID. And all of a sudden, you know, these, the, the, what previously were unattainable amounts for these entities to get are now, uh, you know, suddenly were very easily accessible. So... The I, what I'm simply what I'm getting at is every time the CDC says, I don't know, we're going to hang on to this one more vestige of COVID mitigation. Some part of that, right? Some part of it is, of course, you know, we, these, are, these are people who are 
maximally frightened of this thing. And I, I do believe there's some genuine uh, mental illness on their part that they're just they're hanging on to this the way they are. But also the cynic in me, you have to I, I, I tell I just I know how Washington operates. And these are people that do not want to give up the power because they do not ultimately want to give up the funding. So how does this lawsuit end? What does this do? Well, it puts the ball in the Biden administration court and they have to decide whether to appeal this because it doesn't just get I mean, they have to appeal it in order for the Court of Appeals to look at it and evaluate it. They have to decide whether to appeal it or they just let it die and they blame a mean Trump era, Trump appointed judge, MAGA judge. They turn it into a talking point. And I believe that there are a handful of people today in the Biden administration that are looking at this ruling and are rejoicing because it took it literally took it, it now it, it, they 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 didn't they weren't the ones to have to have made this decision. Right. They didn't because their base. I'm telling you, there's still the other part of this is the base, the base of the Democratic Party. They want us all in face diapers forever. They want us safe and they want us. Uh, quadruple vaxxed or I don't know, five vaccines now that we're supposed to have in order to I, I can't keep track of it all. So that's what's going on here. We'll see what happens. But I wouldn't be too surprised, folks, if, if come tomorrow, the day after, by the end of the week, we get we get some proclamation from the Biden administration saying they, they, this is a conservative activist judge that literally it, it put Americans in harm harm's way. And then period, end of sentence, not we're appealing it, not we're doing something to fight back, not we're, you know, we're taking this all the way to the Supreme Court and fighting for our, th- none of that. And one of the reasons for not, why not to do, and I'm t- again, putting on my lawyer hat here, I gotta, I gotta tell you, is what if it goes up to the Supreme Court, okay? And ultimately the Supreme Court makes a ruling that really restricts the CDC's capability of doing something. They decide that this, you know, section 264 rule that that this judge is attacking here in this case where it's basically siding with the plaintiffs here what if they decide that rule does not give this type of authority and now creates precedent that prevents the federal government for bringing a mandate like this back now that would be a big problem so their lawyers are having that internal conversation and we will wait to see what kind of spin uh, comes on top of this because I think this is all uh, very interesting stuff. All right, when we come back, I want to talk about Musk, the poison pill. You're hearing a lot about a poison pill and what it means. I feel like I feel like all of this is a very Gordon Gecko-esque. And I also want to talk about stupid things people write on Twitter. While we're talking about buying Twitter, let's talk about all the idiots that are on the platform, uh, especially in how it relates to Musk. Don't go anywhere. What's right with Sam and Ash News Talk 840 KXNT. Sam and Ash Injury Law has been named the official injury attorneys of the Henderson Silver Knights. Sam and Ash Injury Law, they care, they help, you win. 702-820-1234 or SamandAshLaw.com because you deserve what's right. What's right with Sam and Ash, News Talk 840 KXNT, every weekday, 2 to 3 p.m. 
your local conservative home right here on this wonderful station. Uh, that's right. We're broadcasting live, as we always do, right from our offices in downtown Las Vegas. And it's um, nice outside. It's sunny. starting to be warm, which uh, makes me think that summer's coming and uh, that time of year where we all need to check our AC units, make sure they're working because uh, the, the heat comes fast in all of this. Now, here's what else is coming fast. Uh, Musk and his takeover of Twitter or his uh, plan or hopes to take over Twitter is being described by some media outlets as be having been thwarted by Twitter's board who filed, as they are obliged to do, a detail of a shareholder plan with the SEC. This is a defensive tactic that is commonly referred to, and you'll be hearing this a lot in the next coming days and weeks, a poison pill plan. And the way this, uh, the way these things work is basically it's a it's something that boards do when there is a hostile takeover that makes them less appetizing as a target to the raider, right? To the person coming in or the entity coming in looking to acquire them. And according to this particular filing, because they have to disclose exactly what they're doing, if there are any changes uh, to ways that shares are allocated within the company. So what they're saying is basically if anybody comes along and tries to acquire 15% or more in ownership, which kind of sounds like they're talking about Musk, right? I mean, he what did he got, 9 to 10%? He's probably going to look to buy more and increase his position. So if you cross the threshold of 15%, they would basically say that other shareholders can exercise a right to pay $210 to acquire more stock in the company, that's a per share price of 210. And then they could exercise the selling price or the value of that at 420 a share. Now this might be another pot reference in a ping pong back to Elon Musk. But at any rate, the point is, if, if, if Elon continues to raise the stock price, someone else, one of the other major shareholders come in and buy at a, for an advantageous reduced price shares in the company. The problem with this is, folks, and I, I keep coming back to the, <laughs> the pragmatics of it, the board, and we talked about this last week on Thursday, the board has a fiduciary responsibility to its shareholders to protect their interests. Now, there can probably are a handful of activist shareholders in the company, people that own stock in the company, but by and large, uh, people that have stock in the company want what? Return on their stock? It's a financial decision. And so I think this uh, is potentially will backfire because it, it basically al allows for other shareholders who are not Elon Musk to go in and buy shares for a reduced rate. The other thing that's not clear from this, I'm not sure if maybe Elon Musk could come in and also acquire more shares for $210 per share price and then exercise the 420. I, I don't know what that, I, I'd have to look at the actual filing, but it, it's, it's just to me, it seems like a, a very bad move. And you can imagine, again, I'm a lawyer, I look at these things legally, I can, I'm already picturing the lawsuit by you know a class action on behalf of all the little shareholders that make up a bulk of Twitter saying, hey, you guys, you had a good deal on the table. 
you're blowing it because you don't like the guy. None of that matters to me because for me, I bought into this company because I wanted a return on my investment. And I want you to act in my best interest. I didn't buy Twitter for, you know, to make a political statement. I bought Twitter in order for my portfolio to, to make money. And considering we're probably headed into a down market eventually here, uh, making money, making a return on your investments is altogether a good thing. So this this thing is still heating up. It's it's very much still in play. Don't believe everything that you're hearing about this poison pill being the end of Musk's adventure, a quixotic adventure uh, to take over Twitter. The the crusade is not yet over, and I uh, urge you to just uh, if if, the, if you're rooting for this, like I am, I am rooting for this. By the way, I am so <laughs> rooting for this. I look at the I look at Twitter as a platform. It could be something great. I've said this here time and time again. I, it, it could be great. Now, part of the problem with Twitter is just, uh, okay, the way it's run, sure. And then the people. I don't know if you've seen if, if you're an active Twitter user and you've been following this thing, I guarantee you, you have seen the tweets out there that have, that basically go something like this. Oh, for the money that Elon is spending on, on this, this bid to take over, Twitter, he could give $60,000 to every American family. He could pay off everyone's mortgage. He could, by the way, none of these, now there's a bunch of spoofs on there where he's, he could give every person in the world a billion dollars. And, and people are making fun of the sincere and frankly, very stupid people out there who have made these type of statements. But to me, these statements actually worry me or concern me a great deal. And that kind of goes back to kind of wondering where where we're headed as a country. Because to me, it's such a fundamental misunderstanding, a flawed understanding of how things actually work. You know, the, uh, the concept of private property rights, the concept of investment, of, you know, it, it, because I'll tell you, it, it's, to me, the value created by somebody taking a company that is underperforming the way Twitter is, and let's take the politics out of it. Let's take the you know cancel culture out of it. Let's take all the all the kind of peripheral issues out of it and focus on this being an underperforming company. Somebody outside, an, an activist investor comes in with the intent of turning a company around. The net benefit to society doesn't come from handouts. It comes from the business opportunities contained within that growing industry. The added jobs. The added office space, all the extra servers that some guy is making and having to install. And when I say guy, I mean just people, like the human beings. They get paid that earn both you know, externally and internally within a company when a company grows and is ascendant. And all these people that I'm reading, all these clowns that are saying, well, you know, this guy should just give it away. You know, you know hardworking Americans, you know, people who put poor and everything. You know, I mean, if to the extent that they're serious about it, and I think some of them are because they spent more time in college doing gender studies than they did learning economics. And I think that they, I think that it's, it's really does show um, not just a lack of economics understanding, but, but just it worries me. That people don't understand that when companies grow, there's opportunities for everyone. And those opportunities happen, but they don't, but again, I mean, we're fighting, we're fighting this, this battle right now, this, in, this battle against insanity. 
people don't understand economics, they also think it is all it's all of this in this world is is out there to be given away for free and and um, and that's not good. Okay. Let's talk about politics when we come back a little bit. By politics, I mean I want to look at this election and get into some statistics that ought to have Democrats worried. Very interesting looking at some battleground states and what it means, looking at some analysis, some data. Uh, I want to go through that uh, and tell you kind of what I think are the I, I don't know what I think is the good news and also the bad news as we head into the midterm elections. Don't go anywhere. You are listening to What's Right with Sam and Ash. This is News Talk 840 KXNT. We'll be back right after this break. Comfortable and confident is how Sam and Ash Injury Law clients feel after the very first call. Comfortable knowing they have decades of personal injury experience. Confident there's reputation and trust to resolve cases and to do what's right. Sam and Ash Injury Law offers platinum legal service to anyone who contacts them. Quality matters. Integrity matters. Who you hire to protect and represent you matters. If you've been hurt in an accident, choose Sam and Ash Injury Law. 702-820-1234 or SamandAshLaw.com because you deserve what's right. Right. Only three things are for certain in life. What is it? Death, taxes, and Sam and Ash? Well, I'm kidding on the third part. What's right with Sam and Ash, though, is on right now here on News Talk 840 KXNT Tax Day. Uh, is always the day that we realize, or some of us realize, Take account, maybe that's a better way of saying, take account of the money that we send to Washington. And, you know, if we're in states like California, send to the state of California and go, what are we getting for it? You know, what's the ROI? What's the return on investment? I always say, I think that one of the greatest scams that the government ever played on us are withholdings. You're probably thinking, well, what do you, Sam, what do you mean by that? I said, no, but look, for most wage earners, right, the government takes a little bit of your check every every paycheck, right? They, they just slice off a piece, and then at the end of the year, they do something exceptionally perverse, which is they pretend that it is a great thing when they give you some of your own money back. This is the beautiful thing called a refund. You know, when I first started working, I was my first, you know, basically paycheck earning job was at a law firm that was based both here and in Newport Beach. Funny enough, so got my start doing there's something very similar to what I'm doing now. Uh, and and in this job, I remember people got their you know their refunds. You know, the, the beginning of the year in January, everybody got their tax forms. They went to their accountant. They they put in all their deductions that they could get and work things out. And at the end of the day, they got excited when they got a $400 check. And I'd look at them, i say, hey, f- fools, I think that money was yours to begin with. The so government held your money, did not pay you any interest. You got no return on it. They held it for the better part of a year. And then they give it back to you and you're excited about it. Like you got something. 
Now, those of you who are listening to this program, I know you're out there. Many of you own your own businesses. You're looking at this and you're just scratching your heads. You're going, oh, my gosh, Sammy, preach because this is exactly, you know, very different from the experience that we have as business owners. You know, we collect, you know, make $1,000 and we have to turn over 40, you know, percent of it for, you know, to the, to the, to the government. And that hurts. And so every time that we have to do that, that act of cutting a check, writing out a check and sending it in makes us examine, truly think about what are we getting back for that money? Not a whole heck of a lot. And that, I think, is what tax day should be, a day to think about what the government does for us versus what we do for the government. And it's a major reminder that in any other circumstance where we write checks to an entity, and let's say you're, look, let's say you make 60 grand a year, you make 80 grand a year, whatever it is, you, you make a good living and you, you know, don't have very many expenses, you're very, you know, but, but nonetheless, let's say every year you pay $15,000 to the federal government, 12,000, 20,000, Make a little bit more, 30000 What kind of service would you get from a private company that you paid twenty to $30,000 a year to? You get some love for that. Well, we certainly don't get it from the government. So today is the day to think about that. And I honestly, I truly believe that if we didn't have withholdings and we made every person who you know gets a paycheck, earns money, and is obligated to pay federal income tax, we made every one of those people sit down on a quarterly basis and cut a check. I think voting patterns would be very different. I don't think that you know the politicians could just you know hold everyone and you know lead everyone by the nose through all these draconian spending projects because people would go, well, wait a minute. I already have to write this check and to be more acutely aware than if it's just being deducted. But those were my thoughts. Perhaps you agree. All right. Speaking of elections, there's some heartwarming news. If you are hoping for a bit of a Democratic bloodbath come uh, this November, uh, voter registrations, net differences, 2020 to 2022. This is a, one of the indicators that we look at. We politicos track because to some extent it shows how voter behaviors are moving and what directions they're, they're shifting. And fascinating enough, uh, in Florida, for example, there has been a net increase of 245,000 registered voters or Republican registered voters. In Pennsylvania, which we know is a, a a, a state that could very uh, well be in play come, in, come 2024, a net increase of 120,000. North Carolina, 92,000. Iowa, 49,000. Nevada, here in Nevada, 24,000. And Oklahoma, 56,000. It's just a few of these states uh, that are, uh, are certainly showing increases there. Now, I'm not surprised, frankly, by the shift in Florida. 
And I think one of the misunderstandings that the national media has, and even some, frankly, some of us here locally looking from the outside in to Florida, very quick to call DeSantis, right? We would, you know, what, what is the, you know, what does MSNBC say about DeSantis? Well, first of all, he's anti-science, right? I mean, he is basically a COVID murderer. Okay, so you have that about DeSantis. The other, what do they also say? Well, now we've got the don't say gay bill. He is uh, a very, <laughs> well, he's medieval. He doesn't understand how many genders there are, and he's trying to push this thing on kids, and he's, we hear that part about it. But what I think we don't realize in the outside looking in is, is how popular he is in Florida, how happy Floridians are that, for example, when it comes to COVID, the state stayed open. This was a huge thing in Florida. And the migration, right, you look at the numbers, data doesn't lie. So you look at the number of people that moved from New Jersey, from New York, and other blue states that moved during and post-COVID down to Florida. Why? What well, wasn't just the weather. It had, there are two reasons for it. We're back to taxes, right? There is 0% state income tax, which if you're in New York City and you're a wage-earning New Yorker, the top-end tax by the time you pay state, you pay federal and you pay your city taxes can exceed 50% of your income. So the government basically keeps more than half of your paycheck. And people are looking at that and then they get locked up and told, well, if you want to go out to, to, to your favorite bar uh, or your favorite restaurant in New York, what we're going to do is we're going to make you show a proof of vaccination. You got to wear a mask, uh, maybe two masks or three masks just to be absolutely certain that uh, your, your diseased face is not going to cause any problems. And, and, and this kind of thing, right, when you combine those two things, the economics and the restrictions, right, the personal restriction of freedom and how long restaurants were closed and how long. And what is there else to do in New York? I mean, the reason people live in New York City is because of the nightlife. And so this, I think, combined, so they, these people have moved down and been attracted to Florida. The driving force of this next cycle, the, the number one, I don't know, the, the, the juice that is pushing all of this forward and that will make, I mean, will ultimately make people decide, it's still COVID. It's how they were treated during COVID. It's the draconian measures that were put in place. And, and then it's, it's the need to explain, right, how the, the, the results essentially, numbers-wise, we're no different in open states. We're relatively similar in states like Florida to states like California and New York, where, where they were, you know, far more restrictive. But I come back to one thing. This is something to keep in mind here as we look at what's going to happen going into uh, the election. I, it also, I have to remind you, it comes down to the candidates. And I, I, my worry here in Nevada is that for the most part, our candidates, our slate of candidates, it's the same tired bunch of nitwits on the Republican side. It's the same people that have that have run for, you know, for offices in the past, lost, you know, run again, won, run again, lost. And they're just it's this it's we, we can't do any better because I'm convinced 
that if the right candidate came along in California that was a Republican and had the right message, he or she could win, certainly here in Nevada. But I look at this, you know, I look at this race and I, 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 nobody is particularly inspiring on the Republican side. And that is because none of them can articulate properly conservative values. Now, they get stuck on elements of conservatism. But the core message of conservatism has never been more relevant than it is right now. And it and it and and again, it is a stark contrast to how we were all treated here in Nevada, for example, during COVID. The concept of trusting individuals to decide for themselves is a core conservative tenet. It is one we embrace, is one we cherish, we value. And so I, I, I look at this and I, I think, it, you know, people have to come along and just can't say Sisolak bad. That's not an argument. And you've, we've got to bring people, attract people in to, to our side, to seeing how we see things. Because we want opportunity for all. We want opportunity for each and every Nevadan, each and every American. And we achieve that by giving power to individuals, trusting individuals. I mean, this isn't even a current thing. You go back and look at Obama speeches. Now Obama, of course, compared to what's going on currently, is starting to, well, you forget the bad. So you're looking at some of the, you know, some of the good, and you think, oh, this is better than what we've got now. But you look at Obama speeches, and time and time again, the frustration that the left has with democracy with empowering individuals, they see the solution to problems being in the hands of government. They see as government as their savior. And what we see is we see ourselves individually empowered to make decisions for us, for our families, for our kids as the answer. And the freedoms, by the way, and we differ with some conservatives, the freedom for others to make those choices as well for themselves. So this uh, this is something that we, you know, we we need to. It, the election isn't. It's not just good enough that the, that the Democrats have absolutely gone full left, and and have have embraced COVID mitigation to the to the to the really outright suffering of of many many people. But that all isn't going to matter if the right candidates aren't in play. So I'm encouraged by these registration figures. It does certainly signal that there is a tide shift coming up, and it matters now who the, who, you know, who, what the what the tickets look like in each of these states, what people are running for Congress, what people are running for Senate, what people are are running for governor, because it ultimately does come down to the person, and it is an opportunity at this time to certainly to, to shift the tide back to some kind of normalcy, but it'll absolutely depend on who leads that effort. All right, got to run. Be right back. Don't go anywhere. What's right with Sam and Ash, News Talk 840 KXNT. You know, I don't know if you saw this picture or this video of Biden being rescued by the Easter Bunny. 
Oh, something's really spectacular about this. Uh, yeah, he was at the White House Easter event. I think it's Easter egg roll, whatever it is. And he begins talking to some some folks, and the Easter Bunny comes running up and and saves him, right? Steps in between the the member of the public that uh, that Biden was engaging with and 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 the president. So there has never been a time. Well, maybe there's been. I don't want to hyperbole. There's. It's so important right now that we project strength. There's making the right decision, there's making the wrong decision, and then there's always the third rail, and that's making no decision at all and vacillating, and worse of all, worst of all, uh, looking like you are completely out of it. The solution right now, I think, is to take, take Biden from all public events. I mean, it's just, this is where it's gotten. And I know some of my friends uh, who are still holdouts and Biden fanatics will say that this is all just, you know, this is all just, um, I don't know, misconstrued. I'm looking at this video, friends. I'm looking at it. And there's another view, by the way, where you can see his face and the bunny pops up in front of the president and he he's struggling to identify what the bunny is. He's like looking at it and he's got his mouth open and it's and it's just this is sad. I remember during the election having uh, being on air and talking about the election. I just basically said it was elder abuse and that was two, you know, two years ago. I stand by that now. In the primaries, it was elder abuse in the, in the main uh, election. Uh, it, was, it, was, it was still continuing and it's it's very sad and absolutely frightens me. So. Uh, hope that all goes well. Uh, iPhone. I don't know if you ran an update. I did the other day, and now I've got a pregnant man emoji. And friends, if this upsets you, fine. I suggest that you use this. If you're a man and you've got this pregnant man emoji here and you're not a trans man, you're just a regular man who's maybe had a lot to eat. I suggest using this emoji uh, to signal that you're full uh, or, um, you know, that, yeah, no more food for me. And I I'm, I'm think I'm going to use it. I, 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 yeah, I saw it when I ran the update. There's actually quite a few emojis that I, I like. They've added some good ones in my view. Uh, but this one certainly is, I don't know, I plan on putting it, I plan on putting it to good use. Definitely like, on you gotta, Fridays? <laughs> yeah. Those are your food days, right? Exactly. Yeah, on Friday in particular, we've got John. We're going to have to ask John Curtis about this if he will use the pregnant man full tummy emoji as he um, as he as he goes about his day. Remember, he eats at probably what does he say? Two hundred eighty restaurants, different restaurants every year. So that's you know certainly certainly basically more almost one a day all separated out. It's absolutely bananas. All right, so iPhone emoji. There we go. Got to talk about that. Friends, if you've missed any portion of the show, just I got to get to this right now because Ash always gets mad at me because I don't mention this and I don't talk about where you can find us. I know we're on air. If you missed any portion of the program, you can go on Apple iTunes. You can go on Spotify. 
and look for what's right with Sam and Ash. You got to type in all those letters, all those words, right? What's right with Sam and Ash? You find it. You see a picture of me and Ashley. There we are. That's the show. You can also find us on social, What's Right Show, on Instagram, Twitter, or even on Facebook. Um, by the way, a lot right now talking about, speaking of Facebook, I know John always says here when, when we're talking about food, because he's active on Instagram, he's active on, on Twitter, and we talk about Facebook being dead. And I've said the same thing too, but I had a friend in town this weekend who works for Meta, which is the name of the new um, I guess iteration of Facebook, Meta, and he's in the in the data on the data team, so he's looking at a lot of analysis now. Much of what he tells me, I, I can't, I can't share, but it is interesting that Facebook is absolutely uh, looking to reinvent itself. So I too have called it a place where you know where 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 grandmas you know post pictures of grandkids and where people yell at each other in long diatribes, right? That's the key thing in Facebook. You can use a lot of words. In Twitter, you're limited to a set number of characters. In, in Instagram, it's really more about the pictures and less about the caption. Facebook, you can go to town. So they're really looking to make some waves, and it'll be interesting to see how that develops. Of course, Facebook owns Instagram as well, and somehow we'll tie all that into the metaverse where we'll all live in a virtual, you know, pretend world not interact with each other at all, not get any germs, not get COVID. We can travel to foreign countries without leaving our living room. All of that sounds absolutely miserable. So there it is. Tomorrow, we'll be back 2 p.m. as we always are. That's tomorrow's Tuesday, but we're here Monday through Friday. Uh, and certainly follow us on social and follow the show uh, on Spotify or Apple iTunes if you've liked what you've heard. I'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for being with us. What's right with Sam and Ash? News Talk 840 KXNT.